0: This morning we are in Luke chapter nineteen. We'll be reading from twenty eight to forty eight. Are you guys ready? I think about that every morning as I get up. I am. It's the day to day. It's the day the day that the Savior may come and just call us home, just grab us and say, "Hey, get up here." That's an exciting thought, man. Just like the day that He was born. It was not expected. Nobody was watching except for the wise men. Very few were aware. I hope we don't get found in that place because today is the day to be aware and today is the day to be ready. Starting in verse 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem and it came to pass when he had drew near Edge and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent out his two disciples saying, Going, go into the village opposite of you. Whereas you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone ask you why are you loosing it, thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said the lord has need of him then they brought him to jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they sat jesus on him and as he went many spread their clothes on the road then as he was now drawing near the descent of mount of olives the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise god with a loud voice for all the mighty works for all the mighty works they had seen saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called from to him from the crowd, "Teacher, rebuke your disciples." But he answered and said to them, "I tell you that if these should be kept silent, the stones would immediately cry out." Now as Jesus drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, "If you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him, and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for your word this morning, Lord. I pray that it just fall upon us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will empower us with the ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand. I pray you speak through our pastor this morning to each and every man, woman, and child gathered, Lord, and that we would just rejoice in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, this morning we find ourselves looking at the second triumphal entry. Maybe you don't think about the first one and the second one. Bible says, "Whoa, it's running away." Bible says in Isaiah, people are going to look around for this move of God, and they're looking for something big. And the Lord says, "But I'm just going to be in the whisper." When Elijah the prophet, he was he was uh, um, frustrated, right, with the lack of men and women coming uh, to the realization that God is true, right? You guys remember, if you read uh, the stories of of Elijah, he he said, once for all, let's settle the dispute. You guys all want to worship Baal. I'm telling you, Yahweh is God. Let's have a contest. We remember? And then God proves himself. There was not any question to the people who were standing in the field. The heavens opened up, fire came down, took the whole sacrifice. Remember? And Elijah's all excited. Now they're going to believe. Because like we always say, if God would just show himself, everybody would believe, right? Well, I mean, if he would just do that, that really big act, you know. If I saw that really big act, then I'll, I'll believe. And the reality is, Elijah is so excited, he runs all the way back to the town. And as soon as he gets to the gates of the city, there's somebody waiting for him. What's her name? Jezebel's waiting. It doesn't take very long for somebody to want to shoot you down. If you're excited about something. And so he comes into the gates. There's Jezebel. Refuses to believe. Does not uh, consider Yahweh to be true. And says if uh, she doesn't have him dead by this time tomorrow. Then uh, God's going to get her. And Elijah's so broken. He turns around and he runs into the wilderness. He runs as long as he can run. And he falls down totally exhausted. The Lord says that angel, an angel comes to Elijah, ministers to him, gives him some bread. He gets up on the strength of that bread and he runs as far as he can again, right? Until he finds a cave. And he goes to pout in the cave. And then while he's pouting in the cave, he says, Lord, I alone have been faithful to you. Nobody else is, but I have been. And the Lord said, no, there's there's 5,000 people you don't know about that." Just as faithful as you. He says, well, Lord, I I don't know what's going on, what's happening. And the Lord says, let me teach you something. And so he says, come outside. And he comes outside and the Lord shows him a mighty wind. But the scripture says God wasn't in the wind. And he shows him a mighty fire, but the scripture says God wasn't in the fire. And then he spoke to him in a still, small voice. God was in the still, small voice. Everybody's looking for this big thing. So on Christmas morning, when a baby is crying in a manger, nobody really thinks much about it. That's the first triumphal entry. You remember who came that morning? The Bible says that shepherds who were at watch of their flocks by night, they were out and taking care of the sheep, and the angels came and proclaimed to the who? Shepherds? Shouldn't they have proclaimed it to Congress? When those are the important people, right? They can't because they're always on break. So the angels had to go to the shepherds. <laughs> so he goes to the shepherds and he, then the angels proclaim. What do the shepherds do? The shepherds come and worship the still, small voice, right? the quiet, the baby nobody cared about. There's no pomp and circumstance, nothing special, just a group of shepherds wondering, what's this? Well, we always saw God in this big, the big thing. But here he is, and a little baby. A couple years later, you have a bunch of wise men, right, on their way from the east. People always ask, where do they get the idea? Where do the wise men fit into the story? How do we figure those guys out? The Magi, who came from the East. Interesting that Scripture would seem to indicate that they come from a school that was started by a fellow, you might know his name, Daniel. You heard of him before, right? And they said, we've seen this star in the East. Where's this great king? Where'd they go? To a palace, And they come to the palace, and there's Herod. He's not the guy. Doesn't take the wise men very long to figure out. He's not the guy. And so the wise men, they come, and they're thinking, well, where's the king? Where's the new king? And so Herod tells his guys, well, where is he supposed to be born? Oh, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Well, funny how they knew that. And so Herod says to the wise men, well, you go see, and if you find him, Come tell me so I can come worship him too. I can't be bothered. My schedule's too busy right now. I'm really important. You see, I'm the king. And I got a lot of kingly things to do. So the wise men went. You remember the gifts they brought them? We always say three wise men because they brought how many gifts? Three. The Bible never tells us how many wise men. It just tells us how many gifts. Gold. It's what you give a king. Frankincense. What you give a priest. Myrrh, that's what you give for the dead. You don't think that's a strange gift for a child? The wise men understood something Daniel wrote in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel said that this whisper, this still small voice of God, the Word, that he was going to die. Daniel chapter 9, you can read about it. Messiah will be cut, out, cut off, put to death. So the wise men knew it, the shepherds knew it, but it seems like everybody else who should have known just couldn't be bothered with what was going on because they're looking for the big. The Bible says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Why? That's how God works. Yeah, does God do big things? Sure, God does big things. But He does a lot more small ones you miss. Don't you think? You think when we when we see the Lord face to face, there will be some things He can say, hey, you remember when I did this? And you'll go, well, really? That was you? It's so small. It's such a such a little thing, but that's what God said He was going to do. And we read the book of Revelation and we see the big thing. And and we, and we see the scripture talking about the kingdom. That's a big thing. And the big thing is coming. It will happen. But the scripture says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Now it's a still small voice. Are you listening? Can you hear Him? In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus said, I'm headed to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 19, verse 28, he's going to get there. Ten chapters of teaching and preparing the hearts of the disciples. And all the way through, the scripture says they they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. Why? Because the king was coming to do something. What was he coming to do? The wise men understood he's coming to die. The king is going to die for his people. Let me ask you a question. What would it be like if you had leaders like that today? Not leaders who can figure out how they get off or how they get, have a better deal than anybody else, but someone who is willing to die for you, the people. To just give up everything they have. To lay all their stuff aside. To say, I don't care about any of that. I'm going to do whatever it takes to take care of my people. And I think if we're honest, we would all respect a leader like that. No? And that's exactly what the king did. He came to pay a debt we couldn't pay. He came solely for that purpose to accomplish this goal in his life. And that's why in verse 28 he could say, when he had said all these things, all these teachings that we've read for ten chapters, he went ahead going to Jerusalem. And when he came to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount of, uh, that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go to the village in front of you. And when you enter, you're going to find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. You know why that's important? All throughout the Old Testament, you have that phrase. You know what that phrase means? On, on whom a yoke has never set, on whom a person has never ridden. It means that that animal is suitable for a sacred purpose. It's not something that was, you know, used for this and now, now we're, we'll use it for the Lord. It's something that was just never been used for anything else. So you'll find a colt tied. No one has ever said, untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just tell them this, the Lord has need of it. Now we have taken the word Lord and we have made it so um, religious that you don't, we don't catch the, the, the meaning as well. Say this, when you untie it and they say, why are you untying it? The king needs it. The king needs it. So the scripture tells us that they go. They go there it says and and as we as we look at it in verse 32 it says so they those who uh, were sent away found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt its owner said to them, "Why are you untying the colt?" And they said, "The Lord has need of it." It's a king's colt. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to Him. You and I, we are stewards. Keepers of God's stuff. The good things that God gives. He gives good things for us to enjoy. He gives good things for us to celebrate. And we're going to be doing some of that in the next few days, aren't we? I hope we are. I hope there are families going to be getting together and having meals together. I hope there are people who are going to be caring for one another and expressing that and and we can, we can see those things happening. Hey, th- those, that's all good. Those are God's good gifts. Given freely for His people to enjoy. It all belongs to the King. It all belongs to Him. And so they go and loose it. Now, you're going to have a king riding on a donkey. Zechariah nine. The Bible says, prophetically, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, and shout aloud. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Now, how would they know their king was coming to them? How would they know Messiah is coming? How would they understand it? Your king is coming to you. Righteous. And he has salvation, the ability to save. Humble, mounted on a donkey. You guys seen donkeys before? You ever seen a picture of a king on a donkey? Only if you've ever seen a picture of Jesus. No king ever said, Hey, we're going to enter into the city, big parade, big pomp and circumstance. We're going to have all these people playing and sounding trumpets. And somebody give me a donkey to ride. Never. Well, how did they come into the city? You find me the biggest, craziest, most muscly white horse or black horse, some super studly looking stallion, and I'm going to come in on... Nobody came on a donkey. Nobody. It sends the wrong message. What message does it send? Humble, peaceful burden bearer Yeah, no, the, the the president doesn't come to do a parade and get in a a, a minivan. <laughs> oh, no, just put the limo away. We're going to take the regular car. Yeah, I don't even think he has one of those. But if he did, it's not coming in a minivan. No, he's coming in something that's up to his station, right? That's how earthly kings work. But you see, Daniel taught us that all the earthly kingdoms have one thing in common. They can't last. Every kingdom passes away. Every kingdom passes away. What else does Daniel teach us? Every kingdom is beast-like. Because that's what man does to man. Or don't you pay attention. Man is good at one thing. Hating men. Just give me a reason to hate. Make somebody look different than me. Make them a different color. Make them act different than me. Make them dress different than me. Some reason. I'll find some reason to hate people. The kingdoms of men are always passing away. So God said through the prophets, there's a king coming who has the answer that nobody else has. In fact, the scripture will call him the Prince of Peace. One of those proclamations we see at Christmas time. Peace is coming. How does peace enter into the town? Riding on a donkey. Because a donkey is a burden bearer and he's come to bear the burdens of the people. What would it be like? If your leader stood up and he said before the people, you have a lot of burdens on you, financial burdens, physical burdens, struggles, and I'm going to take all your burdens, every one of them, and I'm going to pay for them all. Because that's what Jesus Christ has done. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 lays out for us the mind of Christ that we want to have in us, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, and found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Pay for every Every burden on all mankind, everywhere. Check's written. It's already done. The burden has been carried. He comes riding on the colt of a donkey. He doesn't separate mother from the colt. It says in in Matthew, Scripture tells us in Matthew 21, 2, he says, go to the, voy- uh, to the village in front of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. The donkey's there, he's riding the colt. So it's a little more ridiculous. You ever seen a colt of a donkey? His feet can touch the ground. Do you understand that? that there's, nobody is going, wow, look at this. Don't lose sight. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. That king's coming again. When the scripture talks about him coming this time, he's coming on a white horse to judge and make war. The kingdom will be established. But in order for God's kingdom to be established, the same thing that happens to every kingdom must come. What's that? You, de- you depose the ruler. The Bible says in Daniel's, in Daniel's vision, a stone not cut out with hands from the heavens strikes the statue in its feet and blows it to dust. That statue represents all the kingdoms of men. Blown to dust. And then that stone grows to become a mountain that fills the whole earth. And his kingdom, Daniel says, will reign forever and ever. Isaiah tells us that the wolf will lie down with the lamb. The lion will eat straw. uh, The child will play by the cobra's den. And nobody will be afraid. They'll take their weapons, and they'll beat them into plowshares, and they, mankind, will study war no more. Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace has come. He's come to his people. He's riding into town. It says they they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it, and he rode along. As they rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. So we're coming into Palm Sunday. We've all heard about Palm Sunday before. And as Jesus is entering into the city, they're throwing their clothes down in front of the colt. Now, this signifies something. It's not the first time this ever happened in, in Israel when Jehu became king as he was riding into town for the people to signify that they were uh, um, going to be Servants of the king, that they were bowing before the king, that, that they're accepting him. We receive you as our king. They threw their cloaks down before him. And as he rode into town, they proclaimed, Jehu is king. It's in Second Kings 9.13. We're willing to follow you. We're willing to serve you. They took palm branches, right? And they waved them. That was a sign of joy in the Feast of Tabernacles. They're waving their palm branches and they're throwing their clothes down in front of the colt saying, "You're our king. You're our king." Not very long before those voices are going to change. You're in the last week. Last week Headed to the cross. In Psalm 118 verse 22 it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Sound familiar? Remember the vision of Daniel? Stone from the heavens, not cut out with hands. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, Psalm 118 verse 25 says, Save us. You guys know the Hebrew word for that? Hosanna. You ever heard that phrase before? Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Save us. Save now. Save us, Lord. This is what they're proclaiming as they're laying their cloaks down in front of the king, saying, you're our king. They're rejoicing. They're waving the palm branches because they're excited. Here comes the king. Here comes the king. The king's coming into the city. The city of the king. He's, he's entering in, and, and they're excited about what's coming. Uh, save us, Hosanna, save us now, we pray, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord, from the house of Yahweh. See, coming in, they're singing this song. And as he's drawing near, in Luke nineteen thirty-seven, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for his mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? All the scriptures of the Old Testament that we've been looking at, all these things come together in one moment, and one and one time. People proclaiming, He's our king, we're willing to follow you. They're signifying it as they... Shout, and as they praise, as he enters into the town, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're proclaiming this event. Here comes the king. And as the king is coming in, what do you think they're looking for? I think they're short-sighted. I think they're looking for peace from the Romans. I think they're looking for somebody to help them out with their taxes. I think they're looking for uh, someone who can feed them, right? The feeding of the 5,000. You guys remember that, right? Somebody who can take care of their problems. They're thinking, man, this is the one, he's it. He's everything that our hopes are pinned on. In a a few short days, Jesus, after the resurrection, is going to be walking with a couple of disciples to a town called Emmaus. And as they're on their way to Emmaus, those disciples are going to say, we had hoped he was the one. But now he's dead. So if he's dead, he can't be the one, right? Right? Psalm 118, beginning back at verse 19, listen to the scripture. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. You hear what the psalmist is saying? You're the gate. Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and no man comes to the Father except... By me. That's a way of saying, I am the door. Or another way would be saying, I'm the gate. I'm the gate to what? Well, the Bible says that if you believe, then He gives you righteousness. So you're, He's the gate to righteousness. I see the gate of righteousness. And the, and the righteous want to enter. The righteous want to enter through. How are we entering through? We're entering through Jesus Christ. And what has He become? I thank you that you have answered me and have become my Salvation, you're saving me, you're purging me, you're cleansing me. You've come to set up the the way so that I can have all these things that we really want, but we think can come through human means. They can't. How does a man become the father he needs to be? By bowing the knee to the king of righteousness. Righteousness. How does a woman become the wife that she needs to be? By bowing her knee before the king of righteousness. How does someone become the brother or the sister they need to be? By bowing the knee to the king of righteousness. Because he makes me to be more than I can be on my own. We are doing a bang up job so far of ushering in peace to the world. It is the year 2018 still, right? So 2019 is coming. Anybody remember the year the Jetsons used to talk about? We were talking about this the other day. What did we settle on? 2020 something? We're almost there. And nobody's flying around in cars. Or pushing buttons that food pops out. No, that's not happening. Well, maybe, maybe it'll come really quick. I don't know. But what hasn't changed is the heart of man. The Bible says the heart of man is deceitful, it means it lies. That it's wicked. That means it wants to do evil. That it's swift to shed blood. That's just exactly what it sounds like. But when a man bows a knee before the king of righteousness, he says, I'll take your hard heart out, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And next thing you know is, really, one of the, one of the things that you'll experience is in a life submitted to God is you'll cry more. And you'll feel stupid doing it, if, at least if you're a guy. You'll feel stupid doing it. I cry all the time. It's so dumb. But I know when it happens, when we worship and I start to cry or something's going on, sometimes when I used to sing up here and I'd be singing, sometimes I couldn't even sing the dumb words. Because I'm, I'm crying through the whole song. Which makes it hard to lead anybody, right? When nobody wants to hear someone blubber and try to sing at the same time, it's just not pretty. But that's what happens. What's going on? The Spirit of God is taking a hard heart and He's breaking it up. And He's making it soft. So that I can have compassion on my neighbors. Sometimes that's hard, right? So it's a work that God is doing, that God is accomplishing. He has become my salvation. He's the stone that what? The builders rejected. That stone that came from the heavens. Nobody wants it. Because he doesn't just make Rome go away. He doesn't just pay all your taxes. He doesn't just give you a pocket full of money. He doesn't just fill your belly full of food. He doesn't always just come down and heal you and make everything good. So it says the builders rejected. We don't want that stone. The Pharisees said, we don't want this king. The people said, we don't want this. They despised and rejected him. And he became a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Because we didn't want it. We want something else. We want something flashier than the baby in Bethlehem. We want something better than than all of those things. So as Jesus is coming into the town riding on the donkey, there's a group of people there that are saying, we don't want this. Nobody wants to put, make a banner of this, of, of Jesus riding on the colt of a donkey. So the Pharisees said to the crowd, uh, uh, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. They're proclaiming you as king, and you're riding into Jerusalem, and there's a guy in there named Pilate. And you can't just walk in and say, you're the king. That's going to make the Romans mad. And they're going to get mad at you, and they're going to beat me for it. So stop. Rebuke your people. And he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Because this is the day that the Lord has made. This was the day. The day. When Messiah was coming in to the people. This was the day. When you look at the birth at, at the, that we're celebrating as we celebrate Christmas Day. And we, we, we recognize, we set this day aside. Jesus probably born in September, but who cares? Pick a day, December 25, works for me. Jesus, we celebrate Jesus. He's, we say, this is the day that the Lord has made, the day of small beginnings, a little baby. God came in a little baby. So that you could never say, you know what? God, you've just never walked in my shoes before. You don't know what it's like to be me. You don't know what it's like to be hated. Oh, yes, he does. You don't know what it's like to be rejected. Yes, he does. You don't know what it's like to be hungry. Yes, he does. You don't know what it's like to be homeless. Yes, he does. The birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Yeah, he knows what it's like. He walked if you will, in our shoes to pay our debt that we don't even care about. We don't care. We want other debts paid. But He's paying the one that can change you, that can change me, that can make us the men and women God wants us to be so that God can move and work within us. It says that as He drew near the city He wept over it. So the day, what I would call the second triumphal entry, the first as a baby, now he's coming in, headed to the cross, and he comes in, he sees the city filled with people, filled with children, and he weeps because they don't want him. He weeps because he knows what's in front of them. You know, the scripture says that When Lazarus, you guys know Mary and Martha, friends of Jesus, their brother Lazarus, he died. The Gospel of John talks about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You know that when Jesus went to the tomb, where he's going to speak the words, Lazarus, come forth, that the scripture says, Jesus mourned, he wept, he he cried. He's going to bring him out of the grave. What's he crying for? Because the suffering of man, is God's not blind to it. The psalmist would declare that God catches every tear; that that the, the 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 suffering and pain of man accomplishes a purpose before God. It's not empty. It's not meaningless. It's in fact it's so valuable to God He saves it. We don't. Doesn't mean anything to us. It matters to God. He sees the city and he looks at it and he weeps over it. Matthew twenty three says this. Jesus said, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See then, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." They're shouting that now. Jesus looks over to the city and he weeps. In verse 42 he says this, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for your peace. If you only knew that your heart is deceitful and wicked, and that you're not good, you're capable of doing things that you and I say are good things, but you're not good and God says you need a new heart and that's what Jesus Christ came to give but nobody wants it I don't want that but it's the one thing you need because it changes the way you see your brother it changes the way you see your neighbor it changes the way you see the world it helps you be able to minister to those around you like Christ would we don't have a lot of that going right now. You know, I, I, I every once in a while shake my finger at our government, I shake our finger at our nation because we're so divided, but so is the body of Christ. We find every every reason on earth to divide, throw stones at each other, yell at each other, your doctrine's different than my doctrine. I don't like this, you don't like that. Maybe in the church we need some new hearts. Maybe we're running around with our own heart. Maybe we really need to bow the knee before the king. Maybe we really need to say, you're my king. And I'll do it your way. Not mine. I'll hold to your truth. The final authority... The final test for truth is not your reason. The final test for truth is a word of God. And I'm sorry if you don't like what it says. And I'm sorry if you think you can't understand it. It's just words on a page. The problem is not always I don't understand it. The problem is I don't like it. it says, I don't like that can't be what it means. That can't be what's going on really there. That can't be it. Jesus, he looks over the crowd and he says, if you had only known the things that make for your peace. Some of the guys have been taking a class, Bible college through church history. If you read the book of Acts, you realize it didn't take people very long to screw things up. Right, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 5, Annas and Sapphira are killed, sinning against the Holy Spirit. That is three chapters. I don't think it was a whole lot of time. Day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, chapter 4 is another big outreach. A lot of people get saved. Chapter 5, judgment in the house of God. Crazy. Been happening ever since church history. All oh, the church gets pretty sure that they've got all the answers and then there's reform. And then they think they got all the answers and then there's reform. And then they think they got all the answers and then there's reform. Why? How come it's not just all straight line peace? Well, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will teach you and you'll understand. And so we should have unity, no? The reason we don't have unity is because men won't submit themselves to the final authority of the Word of God. They want to use their reason to decide truth. And no longer will men sit around a table and say, let's work this out. Let's figure it out. This is what they say. You believe different than me. If you won't sign this paper, go to church somewhere else. Well, you don't accept this authority? Well... I'm not going to spend time talking to you about it or try to straighten you out. I just tell you, go someplace else. So, we have all kinds of churches divided. We do this this way. We do that that way. We do this that way. We do this the other way. All this division everywhere. Is the body of Christ divided? What did Paul say? Is the body of Christ divided? <laughs> no, it's not supposed to be. There's one church. One baptism. One spirit. Where's all that divisiveness come from? My messed up heart. The Prince of Peace is here to say, if only you knew the things that make for your peace. For them they have an excuse. Now they are hidden from your eyes. They're about to be revealed. Jesus is going to say to his disciples in a few days, He's going to open their eyes so that they can understand the scripture. Now that's been that way ever since the Holy Spirit has entered into the life of the church. We can understand the scripture. But we don't want to be bound to that. We want to try to make culture the the official norm. Or we want to make our reasoning the norm. Or we want to make something else the norm. Instead of just saying, you know what, Jesus is king. How about we just do it his way? And if we can't agree on his way, let's do this. Sit around a table till you can. I don't like that. I sit around a table and we left and nobody changed your mind. Oh, you poor soul. You just acted out what people have been doing in Congress for the last 200 years. So, how do you make it work? Stop making excuses, sit your butt down and work it out. I don't throw people out for disagreeing with me. I tell people all the time, you are welcome to be wrong. (laughs) You want to sit down with me? Honestly, I don't care. I don't care what your eschatology is, because eschatology don't save. And you want to sit around a table and talk until you can't talk no more? I love talking about the Bible. Sit down with me and let's talk. I will never stop. You say, let's talk, I'll talk to you as much as you want to talk. We'll open up a scripture. I give a rip what anybody else says. We're going to open up a scripture. What does it say? What does the Bible say? Do we have a clear understanding of what the Bible says? If we don't, let's figure out why we don't. Let's, let's figure it out. Nobody wants to do that. They just want to say, either you sign this paper or you get out. I don't have a paper for you to sign. You want to be a member of Calvary Chapel? Come. You want to grow? Plug in. Be a part. I know you're tired. Me too. I know you work all day. I'm sorry. Just, if you want to eat, yeah, that's what we got to do. But there's at least 300 Bible studies a week you can get plugged into. That's an exaggeration, but you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I bet we got one every single day. Some days too. I got every single Monday morning, I meet over here at coffee. If you want to argue about anything in the Bible, we can sit down and just have a blast drinking coffee and talking about the Word of God. And I'll sit over there until the sun goes down. But if you don't want to go, I don't know what to tell you. Wednesday morning, do a Bible study at my house. You're welcome to come. I bet it's before you got to go to work for some of you. Six in the morning is pretty early. We're done by seven. I'll cut it short if you got to go earlier than that. We'll start earlier if you need to. God's people, He said, I've come. There's a way of peace. What's the way of peace? Repent and believe. Repent. Yeah, there's no salvation without repentance. I don't care what anybody says. Repent and believe, submit. To your God and King. He says in verse 43, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, hem you in on every side, tear down uh, to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another because you didn't know. All these parables Jesus told of his disciples are the same thing. Hey, the master's going to go away. That means there's going to be a period of time from... What Jesus accomplishes at the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah until His return. There's going to be a period of time, and what are we supposed to be doing? Be ready. Do business till I come. That was just the latest parable we looked at, right? He's given us all the same thing. Everybody got a mina. Everybody's going to give an account, a reckoning to God. What are you going to do with what God has given you? Right now, for the Jew, the Jew was so sure that everything they had put together was the way. The temple's it, and, 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 and then we have the temple segregates people, right? The, the closer you can get to the temple, the holier you are. So the women are out there, and the, and the Gentiles, they're out there, and, the, and all these people are out there, but the Jews, they can get in here. And so we have all of this, and Jesus says, your enemies are going to come and not leave one stone upon another. What does that mean? Yeah, that system don't work. Paul's going to say what? He's going to say, there's not Jew or Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. We are all one, where? In Christ. We are all one in Christ. You're not one before Christ. You're not one unless you have bowed the knee. You are not one unless you have repented and believed. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what makes us one. One. One baptism, one spirit, one church. The cause of all of this, they didn't know the time of their visitation. The Prince of Peace, the small beginning, is waiting outside the door. So he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It's written, My house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. What had the temple become? A place to buy and sell. I'm not just buying and selling books. It's not a bookstore. What is the deal? What are they buying and selling? They're buying and selling the right to come and bring offering. How about I start selling seats in church? Church used to do that. Yeah, the way they paid for the preacher is you had to rent your pew. That's where they got the whole thing where people would argue over their pew. Yeah, you're in my pew. I paid for this pew. If I charge people for the pew, I don't know if anybody would come. Come. They're charging people to worship. Jesus said, No, my my house, he said, my house is a house of prayer. Where people come to see me. People come to meet with the Lord. Isaiah 56, 7 says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. My house of what? My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for. All peoples. Oh, you're kidding me. My house shall be a house of prayer for all peoples. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in Jeremiah 7-11? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. It's become a a den of thieves, but it's supposed to be a house of prayer. It's all going to come down. It says in verse 47 that, he was daily teaching in the temples, and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were worshiping God alongside. No, what were they doing? That's the heart of men. That's the heart of men. The heart of man is always looking for a way to destroy. But verse 48 says, but they did not find anything that they could do. For all the people were hanging on his every word. Because he has the words of life. He is the key to peace. He will rule and reign as a king on this earth. And on that day, every knee will bow. But that's a day of judgment. So he says to his church, you got a job. The job is to call men everywhere to repent. To call men everywhere to believe. To call men everywhere to bow the knee. To let Jesus Christ rule and reign in your life. Not your reason. Let Jesus rule and reign in your life. I know sometimes people say, well, Jesus always does, God always does what's reasonable. Do you think so? You heard of Abraham, right? And sacrificing his child. Well, you, you heard of uh, Joshua and Jericho. Didn't ya? you? You've heard of Gideon. Take your 30,000 soldiers and get rid of them all till you only have 300. That was reasonable, right? Or Abraham, take your 300 and go take on five armies of five kings. That's reasonable, right? What happens if we just bow the knee to what what God's word tells us? What if we just bow the knee to him and say, Lord, you rule, you reign. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. What if we took the words of Jesus and we didn't make excuses for him, but we, we said, here you say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. What if we just said, "Yeah, maybe, maybe that's just what I'm supposed to do. What if I just said, I just, need to, I just need to be crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What if we just died to ourselves and live for him? What, what, if, what if the church could get over all her weirdness and come together? Not some, I'm not talking about some weak, let's come together and just everything's okay. No. You feel free to fight it out. Let's, let's nail it down. I'm all right. There's only one truth. There are not 300 of them. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If he's the truth, we can find the truth. We can stand in the truth. We can be united in the truth. We can move forward in the truth. We can see our world begin to be changed by us moving forward and being what Jesus Christ has called us to be. Can't we? Can't we see that? We're coming up to New Year's. Every New Year's we do the same thing. Next year will be better than last year. No, it won't be the same. Nothing changes if we don't do something different. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. Just another year, I just get older and fatter and it's harder to put on my shoes. That's what happens. (laughs) What if... What if we remember the day of small beginnings? What if we remember that He is the King of Peace? What if we remember that He wants to give me a new heart? What if we remember that if I... If I repent and believe, and God grants that repentance, and I see Him moving in my life, what what if we believe that He'll make me the man I need to be? What if we believe it's better to stand on the truth of God's Word than what the world will allow you to do? What's the world going to be like? Stop looking out there and waiting for them to fix it. They don't have the answer. There is no kingdom of man that has the answer. Read Daniel. They're all bad, they're all beasts. They all devour. There's one king, one kingdom, one church, one people. What happens if we just really buy that? What happens if we really fight for the truth? What happens if we stop saying division's okay? What happens if we stop saying, oh, I'm just going to be like everybody in the world. And I'm going to do the same thing everybody else does. My wife burnt the toe, so I'm done. I'm going to get a new one. Or my husband, he got fat, I want a new one. Or whatever. Whatever. What if we just said we're going to do it all God's way? That, what we call that Christmas morning so long ago, when those shepherds came and praised the king of kings. That morning was full of promise. I hope you know every morning is just like that, full of promise. That God can do in you what you long for him to do. But in order for it, i gotta, I got to let me die. I have to be crucified with Christ. i can't, I, I got to get all my silliness out of the way. So there can only be one arbiter. There can be only one final authority. It can't be Jackie and Jesus. It's all him. Man, the the Bible says, Jesus said this to his disciples, These things that you've seen me do, and greater you shall do. Days full of promise. Seize what Christ has given. And allow Him to accomplish what He wants to accomplish in you. Let you be the change you long to see. And then watch what God can do. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time, the opportunity that we have to come before you, to look at your word. God, we thank you for your spirit. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship and praise. Thank you that people are gathered here under your name. God, I pray that by your spirit you would search our hearts, God. I pray that if there are men and women here that don't know you, have have, have never made a profession of faith, God, your word says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. I don't want to be that. I want to proclaim you. Scripture says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because she was not willing. I hope he's not weeping over Buell. God, I pray that if there are men and women here who haven't done that, that, that they'll be willing to do that. There will be elders and, and prayer counselors available around the church to pray with them. But God, there may be a lot of us here who just, uh, maybe we've made a profession, maybe we've repented and believed, and then we just we have this battle within ourselves, the battle that says, I want to be in control. I want to be in charge. I, I wanted things to happen my way. And maybe we just need a moment where we say, no, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The power to live the life I want to live has been gifted to me by the Holy Spirit. Man, Lord, I just pray that we, we recognize uh, the greatest gift that could ever be given has been given in your Son he has made a way pray that that we would recognize the road we're on that we would choose the path less traveled narrow is the way narrow the gate few there are who find it wide is the path of destruction narrow the path of life But God, as you stood before your people, you told them, choose life. I set before you life and death. Choose life. Life is what happens when we choose you. God, I pray that we would submit our hearts to you. That we would submit ourselves to your authority. Your word declares that all authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth. All authority. So may you rule and reign in me. May you rule and reign in your church. May we become the change we want to see in a nation. May we become the change we want to see in a family. May we become the change I want to see in me. As we bow the knee to you and confess, you are my king. So God bless this time as we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.